Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a Cosmo. What do you have, Del? I am drinking champagne, and on this week's episode, we're going to dive into a story about how one person scammed her way into the upper echelons of New York's elite society. While it may sound impossible, this is exactly what Anna Delvey did. But before we go into what she did, let's look at who she was and how she got to New York. Anna Delvey was born Anna Sorkina in Moscow on January 23, 1991 to Valdem and his wife, whose name has not been publicly revealed. Her father was a truck driver and her mother was a small business owner. In 2007, the family moved to North Rhine, Germany. Vadim opened a HVAC business in order to support the family while her mother stayed home. Anna was not able to quickly acclimate to her new surroundings. She struggled to learn the German language and was described as quiet and shy by her classmates. As a young child, she was obsessed with fashion magazines, especially Vogue, and dreamed of working in the fashion industry. After graduating from gymnasium, which is what Germany refers to as high school, in June of 2011, Sorokin moved to London to attend Central St. Martin's, an art school, but soon dropped out and returned to Germany. In 2012, she briefly interned at a public relations company in Berlin. Sorokin then relocated to Paris through an internship for Purple, which is a French fashion magazine. Her parents helped her pay her bills, though she didn't maintain frequent contact with them. During her time in France, she began using the last name Delvey. At first, she claimed it was her mother's maiden name, but later admitted to making it up. In the summer of 2013, Anna visited New York City to attend New York Fashion Week. She transferred to Purple's New York office after finding it easier to make friends in New York. During this time, she had the idea for the Anna Delvey Foundation, or ADF. ADF was Anna's idea for a private members club and art foundation. Her business plan included her desire to lease the church mission house from Abby Rosen. She planned a visual arts center with pop-up shops curated by artist Daniel Arsham, one of her acquaintances from her internship, and exhibitions by Urs Fisher, Damien Hurst, Jeff Koons, and Tracy Eamon. At a party at the Standard Highline, Sorkin pretended to be a wealthy heiress and bragged about the brands of clothes that she was wearing, but also asked partygoers for a place to sleep. When they declined, she spent the night sleeping in a car. DJ L.D. described Sorkin as, quote, entitled and mean, especially to the people in the service industry, end quote. D. also described how Sorkin relied on her and other acquaintances to pay for her expenses by claiming she had forgotten her wallet or that it was an emergency and her credit cards did not work. These expenses range from drinks at a bar to hotel stays and flights totaling tens of thousands of dollars. In 2015, Sorokin met art director Michael Huang at a dinner party. Upon learning that Huang planned to attend the Venice Biennale, Sorokin asked him if she could accompany him. Huang agreed and booked a flight and hotel room for Sorokin on the understanding that he would be reimbursed for the $2,000 to $3,000 cost. Upon their return to New York, Sorokin appeared to forget the arrangement and failed to pay. This will be the first of many instances of Anna not following through on her financial obligations. In 2015, Sorokin also attended Art Basel in Miami Beach. Sorokin hired a public relations firm to book a birthday party for herself at Sedell's restaurant in January 2016. 
after her credit card was declined and pictures of Huang at the event were posted on social media, Huang was asked by restaurant staff if he had Sorokin's contact details. At this time, Huang became suspicious of Sorokin, also noticing that she strangely always paid with cash and lived in a hotel, not an apartment. He was eventually repaid, but from a Venmo account by an unfamiliar name. He then blocked Sorokin's access to him on social media, ending their friendship. In February 2016, while Sorokin was living in a hotel room in the Standard High Line, she met Rachel Williams, then a photo editor at Vanity Fair magazine at a nightclub. Williams described Sorokin as quote-unquote demanding and rude to waitstaff, and said that quote, when an elevator opened, she wouldn't wait for other people to get off, end quote. Despite this, Williams became close friends with Sorokin. One of Sorokin's acquaintances put her in touch with a lawyer at Gibson Dunn, who in turn put her in touch with several large financial institutions, including City National Bank and Fortress Investment Group. In November 2016, Sorokin submitted false documents as part of a loan application for $22 million to City National. Sorokin used Microsoft Word to create fake bank statements and other financial documents purporting to show that she had 60 million euro in Swiss bank accounts, but could not access them since they were in trust and she was in the U.S. City National refused to extend credit when Sorokin failed to provide the source of the Swiss assets, and she then applied for a loan from Fortress. Fortress agreed to consider the application if Sorokin paid $100,000 to cover legal expenses relating to the application. In December 2016, with Sorokin unable to pay rent, the church mission's house was instead leased to Photographiska, New York. On January 12, 2017, Sorokin convinced City National to grant her a temporary overdraft facility for $100,000 on the promise that it would be repaid quickly. Sorokin provided fake AOL email addresses of quote-unquote Peter Henneke, a non-existent business manager. When suspicions arose, Sorokin claimed that he died and invented a new persona, Bettina Wagner. Sorokin remitted the $100,000 to Fortress for the loan application, but a managing director at Fortress became suspicious of Sorokin's application due to discrepancies in her paperwork. For example, she claimed to be of German heritage, but her passport showed that she was born in Russia. When the director arranged to verify Sorokin's assets by meeting her bankers in Switzerland, she withdrew the loan application to prevent further scrutiny. In February 2017, the $55,000 portion of the overdraft not spent by Fortress as part of the due diligence process was returned to Sorokin. Sorokin then spent lavishly on luxury clothes, electronics, and a personal trainer, as well as $800 hair highlighting and $400 eyelash extensions. On February 18, 2017, Sorokin checked into a $400 a night room at the 11 Howard Hotel in Soho, Manhattan. She often gave $100 cash gratuity to the concierge, Neff Davis. Anna and Neff then became personal friends despite such a relationship being against hotel policy. She also gave the $100 cash gratuity to other employees for simple tasks, such as restaurant recommendations and bringing packages to her room. Zurichin became comfortable in the hotel and regularly walked around in leggings or hotel robes, often dining at the fancy up 
upscale hotel restaurant and billing the cost of her meals to her room. She treated the concierge, Neff, to massages, manicures, and sessions with the celebrity personal trainer, Casey Duke. After management discovered that there was no credit card on file for Sorokin, they insisted that she settle her $30,000 bill. By March 2017, one month after receiving the $55,000 remaining from her loan application fee, Sorokin had ran out of money due to her lavish spending. She then would offer to take friends out for drinks and dinner, but when it was time to pay the bill, she would claim that she had forgotten her credit cards or her credit cards would not work. At the same time that she was unable to pay for dinner and her other expenses, Sorokin was very active in the New York social scene and attended dinner parties where she met Macaulay Coughlin and Martin Scarelli. In April 2017, Sorokin deposited $160,000 worth of fraudulent checks in a Citibank account of which she was able to retrieve $70,000 in usable funds. She then wired $30,000 to Eleven Howard to pay the outstanding bill. In May 2017, by sending a forged wire transfer confirmation from Deutsche Bank for the $35,390 fee, Surikin booked a return charter flight on a business jet via Blade to Omaha, Nebraska to attend the annual general meeting at Berkshire Hathaway with the goal of meeting Warren Buffett. Sorokin had allegedly met Blade CEO Robert S. Weisenthal, although Weisenthal later said that he did not know her at all. Weisenthal reported her to the police in August 2017 after repeated failure to pay. Since Sorokin still refused to provide a credit card to the 11 Howard Hotel, while she was in Omaha, the entry code on her hotel room was changed and her belongings were placed in storage. She then purchased the domain names corresponding to the names of the hotel managers and emailed them asking for a ransom of $1 million each. She had apparently learned that from Martin Scarelli. With the help of Rachel, after three months of living at Eleven Howard, Sorokin moved her belongings to the Mercer Hotel. Sorokin also stayed two nights at the Bowery Hotel, sending the hotel a fake wire transfer receipt from Deutsche Bank. In May 2017, Sorokin invited Rachel Williams, Casey Duke, and her videographer on what she said was a quote-unquote all-expenses-paid journey to Morocco, supposedly because she needed to quote-unquote reset her electronic system for travel authorization, ESTA. Inspired by Khloe Kardashian, Sorokin booked a $7,000 per night suite with three bedrooms, a private swimming pool, and a dedicated butler at La Mamunia, a five-star luxury hotel in Marrakesh, with plans to make a quote-unquote behind-the-scenes documentary on the creation of her foundation. After a few days, staff said that they were unable to charge Sorokin's credit cards and demanded an alternative form of payment. Sorokin gave excuses blaming people for typing the numbers in wrong or the systems for being down. The lack of a credit card on file led to a hotel staff member being fired. Sorokin convinced Williams to pay the $62,000 bill, which was more than a year of net salary for Williams, using her work and personal credit cards with a promise to reimburse her via wire transfer. Williams had also paid for the flights to Morocco, items purchased by Sorokin, and a private tour of Mejorelle Garden using her credit cards, with promises by Sorokin to be reimbursed. Despite repeated promises from Sorokin and one excuse after another, Williams was only ever repaid $5,000 and needed to borrow money from friends to pay her rent as she only had $410 in her checking account at the time. 
In order to return home, Anna borrowed money from Casey, who had left the trip early due to getting sick. Anna reportedly asked for a first-class flight. Upon returning to New York later in May, Sorokin relocated to the Beekman Hotel. 20 days later, in June 2017, having accumulated a bill of $11,518 and failing to pay, despite repeated promises, she was evicted. She then attempted a similar scam at the Hotel W New York Union Square, failing to pay her $503.76 bill. She was evicted after two days and charged with theft of services. Sorokin also tried to quote-unquote dine and dash at the restaurant at the, the Parker Meridian Hotel. When caught, she claimed to police that she could get a friend to pay the bill in five minutes. At this time, Sorokin was also being investigated by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office for bank fraud. On August 17th and 21st, 2017, Sorokin allegedly deposited two bad checks worth $15,000 into her account at Signature Bank, and over the next few days, she withdrew approximately $8,200 in cash before the checks were returned. Sorokin was arrested on October 3rd, 2017, in a sting operation planned by Michael McCaffrey, a police officer with the New York Police Department working with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. At the time, Sorokin was staying at Passages Malibu, a luxury rehab addiction treatment facility near the beach in Los Angeles County, California. Officer McCaffrey had Rachel Williams arrange a lunch meeting near the facility in order to convince Sorokin to leave. When Sorokin left, she was arrested by the Los Angeles Police Department. Sorokin was indicted later that month on two counts of attempted grand larceny in the first degree. Three counts of grand larceny in the second degree, one count of grand larceny in the third degree, and one count of misdemeanor theft of services for the fraudulent loan applications made to City National and Fortress. The check fraud, the cost of the trip to Morocco, and the unpaid hotel and restaurant bills. On December 18, 2018, Sorokin appeared in New York City Criminal Court and rejected a plea deal that offered three to nine years in prison, and her trial started on March 20, 2019. Sorokin was incarcerated at Rikers Island during the trial, where she had 13 infractions for misbehavior, such as fighting and disobeying orders, and was placed into solitary confinement. During her trial, Sorokin lawyers defended her by saying her intent all along was to repay the debt and that services were given to her in exchange for publicity on Instagram. He described her as an entrepreneur with a comparison to Frank Sinatra, claiming that they both created a quote-unquote golden opportunity in New York. On April 25, 2019, after deliberating for two days, the jury found Sorokin guilty of eight charges, including grand larceny in the second degree, attempted grand larceny, and theft of services. Sorokin was found not guilty of two other charges, one of attempted grand larceny in the first degree related to the original loan application with City National, and one of larceny in the second degree related to the alleged theft of $62,000 from Rachel Williams in Morocco. On May 9th, 2019, Sorokin was sentenced to 4 to 12 years in state prison, fined $24,000 in order to pay restitution of $199,000, including $100,000 to City National, $70,000 to City Bank, and approximately two-thirds of the amount owed to Bleed. On February 11, 2021, Sorokin was released from prison on parole. After release, she checked into the Nomad Hotel and hired a German 
camera crew to follow her and film her activities. Six weeks later, in March of 2021, she was taken back into custody by Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, for overstaying her visa. She is currently being held in a New Jersey County jail by ICE, awaiting deportation to Germany. An immigration judge ruled that if Sorkin was freed, she, quote, would have the ability and inclination to continue to commit fraudulent and dishonest acts, end quote. In 2018, after an article by Jessica Pressler on Sorokin was published in New York Magazine, Netflix paid Sorokin $320,000 for the rights to her life story. The New York Attorney General's office then sued Sorokin in 2019 using the state's Son of Sam law, which prohibits those convicted of a crime from profiting, forcing the majority of these funds to be used to pay restitution and fines per the judgment. Williams received $300,000 for a book in which she details her experiences with Sorokin. An American Express later removed approximately $52,000 of charges from her credit cards. Jenny, what do you think of Anna Delvey and the scam she committed? What a wild story this is. There's something wrong with her, obviously, like for committing crimes, but she just doesn't get it. She has like no remorse for anything that she did. I mean, it's one thing to like scam a bank, but then like to scam people who you said were your friends, like that's another thing. And she has no remorse. I think we're going to hear more about her doing similar stuff like this, or I feel like she could even be on like a reality TV show. Like I can see her going down that road and getting money that way. It's amazing how long this went on for. She was able to make like fake bank statements and just come up with all these stories is so crazy. It's amazing that she was able to scam for so long and live the high life and just like blend into this culture so easily. It's interesting to hear people say that she was like very rude. I wonder if that was her idea of what wealthy people did. Like wealthy people are rude to like the wait staff and service people because they're beneath them. She probably did have like some shame I feel like all these people we're talking about are kind of similar, like in wanting attention and having to lie because you have like, you know, some shame or like some self-hatred about where you came from. I don't want to judge her friends too harshly. She clearly sounded like an asshole based off these people's descriptions, but they all still wanted to be her friend. Why was that? Because of the money she allegedly had? It makes me kind of wonder. I don't think we've seen the last of her yet. What do you think? So I agree with you. I think that she will definitely do something like this again. And the immigration judge pointed that out. I think the question is how successful she would be with it and whether she even needs to do it or not. Because you have companies like Netflix paying her over $300,000 for her life story. And when I was researching this case, I also saw that she had gotten into investments and all these other avenues to make money. But I personally think once you start doing scams, it's really hard for you to stop. And so even if she has a legitimate way of making money, I think that the thrill of the scam is going to be what pulls her back into illegal activity. One aspect in this case is whether a large financial institution can be a true victim of financial crimes. 
City National Bank and Fortress Investment Group are large businesses with $87 billion and $54 billion in assets, respectively. The amount of money Anna attempted to defraud them of could be seen as a drop in the bucket for them. So Jenny, can financial institutions that are worth billions of dollars be true victims of financial crimes, especially when compared to the individuals that were financially hurt by Anna? I guess yes and no, because theoretically the businesses should be honest businesses and they shouldn't be taken advantage of. So yes, they're a victim in that aspect. They obviously have practices in place so that they don't get scammed, but at the same time, Their victimhood is definitely not on the same level as her friends. Rachel Williams definitely was struggling. I think she definitely wanted to live, you know, like a glamorous New York life. She was working for a magazine, which I know a lot of people aspire to do, but she was not like made of money. You might think that if you're working for a magazine living in New York, she didn't have very much money in her account and she was forced to pay for like a $7,000 a night suite that, you know, she was promised would be taken care of. Like I said before, I really don't think Anna Delvey cares and who knows if she really had some type of feeling toward Rachel or if she just thought she was someone she could manipulate or someone that could give her access to other things. Who knows? But Rachel, I do think thought of it as somewhat of a true friendship and so did these other people. It's not fair to get scammed and then have to be forced to ask friends, family, whoever to pay your rent and have to worry about that. What are your thoughts on this? I definitely agree with you. I think that no matter how much money a person or institution has, they can always be a victim of something. The fact that what she was attempting to take, they probably wouldn't even notice on the balance sheet in a lot of ways. It doesn't mean that it's okay. And I think that if you try to make it seem like they're not victims, you are also inherently saying that what she did wasn't wrong and it was definitely wrong. Of course, when compared to the actual individuals that were hurt, it's not the same. You have people like Rachel, like Anna's other friends, who are putting themselves in true financial harm just to make sure that no negative consequences were going to come to them. Because just like Anna was arrested for a theft of services, these other friends, if they hadn't paid those bills, they could have been arrested for that. And that has so many other widespread ramifications for them. And finally, let's look at the Son of Sam law that resulted in Anna having to use her Netflix payout to pay her legal fees and restitution payments. The term Son of Sam is derived from the first law of this type targeted at serial killer David Berkowitz who used the name Son of Sam during his notorious murder spree in mid-1970s New York. Although Berkowitz claimed to never have the intention of selling his story, the New York State Legislature swiftly passed preemptive legal statutes anyway, the first legal restriction of its kind in the U.S. The original New York law was invoked in New York 11 times between 1977 and 1990, including once against Mark David Chapman, the murderer of John Lennon. Critics argued that the law infringed on freedom of speech and therefore violated the First Amendment, and that Son of Sam laws take away the financial incentive for many criminals to tell their stories, some of which were of vital interest to the general public. Victims and their families may also use civil lawsuits for monetary damages that effectively preclude a wrongdoer or accused wrongdoer from profiting from their crime. A notable example of this is when the families of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman sued O.J. Simpson and were awarded $30 million. 
Many Son of Sam laws are now targeting the sale of so-called murderabilia. Murderabilia is a term identifying collectibles related to murders, homicides, and their perpetrators. The term was coined by Director of the Houston Police Department's Crime Victims Office. Jenny, do you agree with Son of Sam laws? I do agree with them. I don't really think there's anything wrong with not allowing a criminal to profit. I mean, I guess there's going to be like different levels of being a criminal. So Anna Delvey is not obviously on the same level as David Berkowitz who killed people. The freedom of speech argument, maybe I can get behind. But the fact that they're taking away financial incentives for criminals to tell their stories because they're of interest to the general public. I think that's kind of ridiculous. Maybe you could say like the criminals families could benefit somehow maybe that wouldn't be like that bad if the criminal was like able to use the funds from the sale of their story and then send it to their family. I definitely agree with you. I don't think that there's anything wrong with making sure that people don't use criminal activity to make money. And that's what really the Son of Sam laws are trying to prevent. Because as we talked about during the Elliot Rogers case, you do have copycats. And if people see that there's a financial motive to doing horrific crimes, that will increase the likelihood that they go out and do it. The freedom of speech argument doesn't matter much to me because it's not saying that you can't speak about what you did or what you experienced. It's just saying that you can't profit off of it. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about the scams of Anna Delvey. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with a brand new episode focused on the McMartin preschool scandal. As always, stay safe.